Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. Now, uh, if you have not been with us the past couple of weeks, we actually just wrapped up our series uh, through First and Second Peter, and so this morning is. Uh, really just kind of a standalone message. I hope one that is a message of encouragement and a message of hope, Uh, but also uh, we're going to take a moment this morning to uh, prepare ourselves for uh, this Advent season and the series that we're going to be walking through uh, beginning next week. So spoiler alert, um, and if you don't want to know what I'm about to say next, cover your ears. I don't know why you would, Uh, but next week is the beginning of Advent. We will start next Sunday. And what we're going to be doing this Advent season is we're going to be looking at the prophecies of the coming of Christ according to Psalms. And so we are titling this Advent season uh, the Psalms of the Messiah, where we're going to together look at the Psalms and look at what the Psalms say about the coming Messiah all the way up until Christmas Day. So be ready for that. We're going to spend the next four to five weeks in Psalms, this week included as well. And uh, man, I'm just looking forward to that time together and looking forward to just being encouraged uh, by what the Psalms say about the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, I thought it would actually be good to begin in Psalms today, to prepare our hearts and our minds uh, for what the Lord is going to do together through our time over the next few weeks. And so uh, what I'm hoping is that today will be a day of encouragement for you, a day of, of, of joy for you as we are encouraged uh, through a psalm uh, together this morning. So this morning, we are actually going to be walking through uh, Psalm 119 together. And so um, looking forward to that. Um, some of you just raised your eyebrows at me going, really, this is about to go down? Uh, not the whole text just a section of Psalm 119, okay? So uh, calm down a little bit, folks. I say, what now? No, we're not going to do the whole thing because that would be one of those where we did the whole thing and it's like, all right, Thanksgiving dinner, let's do this. And so, uh, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do an overview of that. I just want to focus on uh, one section, a section that I believe is, is one that is often read but often overlooked as well. And so as we get into that this morning, which, by the way, if you don't know where Psalms 119 is, uh, really just kind of flip open your Bible. It should fall in the middle. Generally, that would be Psalm 119 is where it falls to. Um, it's it's kind of like, you know, when your kids get excited about changing clothes and they flip their socks in the air and they catch them and they think it's awesome. It's kind of the same concept, Psalm 119, flip open your Bible and it ought to be there, okay? So uh, that's where we are going to be this morning in our text. Now, before I give you our specific text this morning, I want to ask you this question, and that is this. How many of you are coming into this Christmas season, coming into this Advent season, really already overwhelmed? I mean, just think about it for a moment. I mean, I literally sat down and had this conversation with my family a couple weeks ago. We we went ahead and decorated for Christmas the inside of our house, not the outside of our house, because our HOA will not allow that yet, but that's okay. By God's grace, I'm thankful for that. But the inside of our house, if you've been in our home recently, you notice the trees up, the lights are up, and we're already blowing and going with uh, Christmas. Now, if I just got several husbands in trouble... Um, because you've not decorated your homes and now your wives are looking at you like, look at how great Allison's husband is. They've already decorated for Christmas. Uh, I'm going to take that and shame on you. How dare you? Why have you not decorated? You know, so come on now. Come on, let's go. So anyway, so all that to say, coming into this Christmas season and Advent season, I don't know about you, but it's been wild to see how fast this year has flown by. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I have been just overwhelmed at the fact that we are already talking about Christmas and the Advent season. Corey and I were thinking and praying through and talking through uh, what those weeks would look like. And we almost had to take a pause for a moment. Like, are we really doing this? Like, is Advent happening now? And we're like, well, yeah, it comes around once a year. Uh, but man, I got to tell you, when I think back on this year, this year really has been a wild ride uh, for us as a church. But I got to say through the ups and the downs, I'm thankful by the grace of God because it's been God who has been with us every step of the way. And it's God who has remained faithful to us. And, and for that, I am truly thankful. But man, here's the irony of this whole year as you look back on it and we get ready for this Christmas season. How many of us honestly thought, like the world, that things would go back to normal in a post-COVID world? I mean, we all had that hope. I think we all knew that some things were going to be different. I just don't think we really understood how different life would actually be. But I think what happened was we quickly discovered that as we got further and further away from the COVID years, we quickly discovered that life didn't get easier. It actually got harder. And now I think it's safe to say that if we were truly honest with one another, we could honestly say that probably as a people, not just as a nation, but as a people, we are more divided now than we ever were before. I mean, just think about this for a moment. We now live in a day and a time where, where relativism has just taken over everything that we now believe. And what I mean by that is, is this, we have people saying to us, well, this is my truth, and my truth is my truth. And we no longer speak about our opinions anymore, nor are we allowed to even disagree on our opinions. In fact, we now live in a day and a time where if you don't agree with someone's truth, or better yet, their opinion, then you can now no longer be friends with them. We live in a day and a time now where even though culture defines itself by my truth, churches are doing the very same thing. Churches are now divided over, over issues that the Bible has taken a clear stance on, and yet we have churches and pastors that want to fight with one another, calling it a matter of interpretation. To hit closer to home, this week, I imagine many of you heard earlier in the week on the attacks on Poland and wondered, is this it? Is this the, is this the World War III that everybody's been talking about? Is, is this the day that the world begins to unravel? And the reality is the world's been unraveling all along. We've just been failing to see it. Maybe this week you, you thought, oh good, now we're past the elections. No more, no more signs on who to vote for. No more candidates telling me how awful the other candidate is. Now we can move on and talk about things that matter, like hockey or football or life, only to hear politicians begin to announce their candidacy for president only to now begin to turn our attention to an election that's, that's still another year to two years away. And some of you may be thinking, this is going to be good, while the rest of us are thinking, again, why? Didn't we just get done talking about all this nonsense? You see, here's the truth. We're all overwhelmed in some way, shape, or form. We may be overwhelmed with the stress of our work. We may be overwhelmed with, with what's happening in our schools. We may be overwhelmed with what's happening in our families and, and overwhelmed in what's happening in our homes. We thought, honestly, that things would actually kind of get back to normal and start to get better. And sadly, it just seems that things get worse and worse and worse. In fact, it's getting harder 
to live in our nation. Even Christianity and, and our influence within this country is fading more and more away. Now, as a side note, depending on your eschatology or your belief in the end times, you may be at the point where you're looking around at everybody going, see, if you believe in what I believed in about the end times, I told you this would happen. The Bible tells you this would happen. So I'm, I'm telling you so. Either way, it feels like what we're living in right now is a modern day judges. It seems to be that the world continues to unravel. And as it continues to unravel, we continue to spiral downward further and further out of control. To all of a sudden, we are now crawling into this Advent season in complete disbelief that we are now at the Advent season. So as Christians, how should we respond when we are overwhelmed? How should we respond when we're dealing with grief? How should we re respond when we're, we're frustrated about what's happening? Where do we go when times get hard? And what is it should we do as believers when we begin to deal with the overwhelming feeling that has encircled us? Well, this morning, I believe in the midst of our suffering, our heartache, our frustration, our grief, I hope that we will see that we still have a song to sing. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we still have reason because as believers in Christ, we still have the Word. And as we're going to discover this morning, the Word is and always will be enough. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 119 and see that even in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our frustration, we have a song. And what we have is a song for the suffering. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now in Psalm 119. And we're going to find ourselves beginning in verse 49 of Psalm 119. And I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is beginning in verse 49. We read, Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. For this blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, before we dive into this text, I want to go ahead and let you know that scholars have been in great debate over the authorship of this particular psalm, uh, all of Psalm 119. Some would actually argue that this was King David writing this psalm for a young Solomon in hopes of teaching him uh, the alphabet to other scholars saying that we have no idea who the author of this psalm is. So while debating the authorship makes for really a good coffee conversation, and I would encourage you to, to take the opportunity to talk about that, one thing that we do know is scholars agree that Psalm 119 in its entirety reveals the passion, the beauty, and the reason for making the Word of God a priority in the life of every believer. So again, this morning as we un unpack this particular passage in Psalm 119, I'm hoping that this will be a word of encouragement for you, but at the same time, I want us to recognize that what we're going to see is what we should already know as believers, which is this. 
the Word of God itself should be a priority in the life of every believer. So as we walk through this passage together, begin thinking of your own life and ask yourself, how important is the Word of God? So you see, by by the time we get to verses 49 through 56 in Psalm 119, we're going to notice that the, the author, the psalmist himself, transitions to how the Word can now help us in times of frustration, how the Word can now help us in the midst of our suffering, whether that suffering is similar to what we've read about from First and Second Peter, or whether it's from outside sources now attacking the church, or the frustrations that may come from within ourselves because of our own daily lives. So what we have in this passage is, again, a song for the suffering. And if that is you today, whether it's in grief, whether it's in heartache, whether it's in frustration, my prayer is that when you look back upon verses 49 through 56 of Psalm 119, you can look to these words and say, In God, through the word, I have reason to sing. So the question we're going to answer this morning is this. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our grief, why should we stay close to the Word of God? Well, I believe the psalmist actually answers that question in four parts in our text this morning. The first part being this in verse 49 and 50. We learn that we should stay close to the Word because in the Word we have hope. Notice with me verse 49. It says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Now, here is where many people attribute the writing of this psalm back to David because this opening actually references back to the words of God to David all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Either way, I want us to pay attention to what the psalmist is calling for. You see, the psalmist is not calling for God to remember his promises as if God forgot, but rather the psalmist is asking God to remind him of the promises that he will one day establish his kingdom. In other words, notice that the psalmist is asking for his faith to be renewed. He's asking God to be given a fresh assurance as God reminds him of the hope that is found according to the word. So you see already in this opening verse, we see the psalmist struggling with the doubt that has now crept into his very mind. And thus he now asks God through his word to remind him again of the hope that he can have in what is to come. You see, if you think about it, that's similar to what we deal with as believers today. Because I think if we were all honest with ourselves, I think it would be safe to say that there have been seasons in our life where we began to question and doubt what it is that God was doing in this particular moment. And so what do we do? Well, we start looking for words of affirmation, or we start looking for words of of assurance that things will be okay. But then what ultimately happens is this, as we continue to doubt and as we continue to question, what we often try to do is we try to fix things ourselves, when in the reality is, in the midst of our own fixing, we make things worse. And so the psalmist in this first verse says, let me teach you how to avoid that problem. Instead of trying to fix it ourselves, instead of hoping in other people, instead of seeking assurances and things that are not of the word, let me encourage you to ask for the assurance that leads to the hope that is found in knowing God. And the way you know him is through his word. 
Notice he continues in verse 15. He says, and this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. Now, the psalmist here admits that he is clearly dealing with some sort of affliction. Now, this affliction could be anything. It could be something internal, like a sin that he's struggling with. It could be external, like false teachers or attacks that have come upon the church, is what we read about in First and Second Peter. We don't know uh, what it is that he is dealing with. However, what we know is this. This affliction has now caused him to question his faith and thus ask for assurance from God. But then notice what happens next in the text. He says, here is my comfort in my affliction. Meaning this, as I struggle, as I hurt, as I deal with fill in the blank, I take comfort in knowing this, that your promise, God's promise, which is the word, gives me life. Notice what the psalmist is saying to us as he, as he sings this back to God. He says, listen, when life is hard, when you find yourself under attack, whether by your own making or whether by external sources, whatever it is, know that if you draw close to the word of God, you will be reminded of the promises of God. And in that promise that you find in the word, there is life. And that life leads to hope. So Christian, are you staying in the Word? Because if you stay in the Word, it will draw you close to God. If you find yourself in the Word, it will remind you of God's promise. And it's in God's promise through the Word that we will find the hope to continue to press on because in the Word, we will find the promise of what is to come. So Christian today, are you struggling? Are you dealing with some sort of doubt? Are you hurting? It's amazing how holidays will do that. Holidays will remind us of very hard times. In the midst of your doubt, do you turn to the Word to find hope? When you turn to the Word, as believers today, do you see that Jesus Christ, through His Word, is calling us to draw closer to Him? You see, it's like what St. Patrick said when he said, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Brothers and sisters, keep Christ close. Keep the Word close. Because in the Word, we have hope. The psalmist goes from there and he gives us uh, the second point that he wants us to see from the word today, which is found in verses 51 through 52. And he says this, not only uh, in the word do we now have hope, but by the word, there is now comfort. Now, after everything we just studied in First and Second Peter, this passage really should offer us comfort in the midst of our own suffering. I mean, look at where the psalmist begins here in verse 51. He says, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Now again, church, just listen for a moment to the word of assurance from the word of God. The psalmist tells us that, that profane sinners and proud scoffers will always be around. 
There will always be people who scoff us and mock us for our beliefs. There will always be people who mock us for our faith. We talked about this in First and Second Peter. They were around in Peter's day. They were there at the Gospels mocking Jesus at the crucifixion. They were around in Nehemiah's day. If you remember when we studied through Nehemiah and he was rebuilding the city, they were there mocking Nehemiah and the believers. They even mocked Noah as he built the ark. And here they are in the middle of the Psalms continually mocking the believers. So Christians, can I just give you good news this morning? Sinners and scoffers will always be around to mock you for your faith. Isn't that great? You're going to be mocked for your belief in Christ from now until eternity. But it's going to stop one day. You see, the truth is, the people who mock us for our faith are not going anywhere. And so can I encourage you with something? You you can't hide from them, okay? So when you're having that conversation around the water cooler, around the, around the, the coffee bar, and, and people are mocking Christianity, and we kind of laugh and giggle at what they're saying, guess what? Whether they know you're a Christian or not, they're going to continue to do that. So you might as well tell them that you're a believer in Christ. You're going to encounter people who will mock you. In fact, some of them are going to pretend to be followers of Jesus Christ, and yet they are going to mock Jesus. And you may be saying at this point, well, how is this good news to know that this is going to happen for the rest of our lives? Well, because we know that what we are dealing with today, when people mock us for our faith, is nothing new. In fact, if you you go back and study the Old Testament all the way through the Gospels, through the New Testament, you'll notice one thing that is true of the mockers then in the Word is true of them today. Their arguments have not evolved. Their arguments have not changed. Their words are identical. It's the same maddening nonsense that date all the way back to the Old Testament. So, when we meet someone who mocks us for our beliefs, we really should just kind of laugh and say, man, you guys just don't give up. This is amazing. Like, you just keep coming around. And when they say, well, what do you mean by that? And say, you do realize that that, that the folks who who mock us for our faith, you've been around from the beginning. And can I tell you something? Good news for the believer. They have been losing since the beginning. Now, coming back to the text, notice the psalmist gives us a response for the mockers. He says this, verse 52, he says, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Now here the psalmist teaches us how we can move on past the scoffers. He says this, he says, remember the word of God and not just remember it, but profess it through the doctrines of the word of God. Hold fast to the truth of the grace that is found in the gospel. Grow in your own knowledge of the ways of God according to the word of God. So notice that the psalmist here is not just telling us that we need to know the the word for the sake of knowing it, but rather we need to take comfort in the word as we cling to the word, because when we cling to the word and our relationship with God through the word, then we will not waver. But then notice right in the middle of that phrase, he says this, this phrase, the rules of old. Now, I believe that the psalmist at this point has in mind the judgments of God upon the earth. I think when he says the rules of old, he's thinking about the great flood. 
He's thinking about the destruction of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction of Pharaoh and the Red Sea, the cutting off of the Canaanites. In other words, the psalmist remembers that God alone is the righteous judge. And one day, God alone will judge all peoples. You see, a day is coming where God will judge both the righteous and the unrighteous. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we can take comfort in the word of God because the same God who will judge the wicked, the same God who will judge the mocker uh, is the same God who pours out his grace and his goodness upon those who cling to their faith and thus cling to the word of God. So Christian, can I ask you this morning, what are you clinging to? What are, you, what are you holding on to? Are you, are you holding on to life and stuff and thinking you can fix things yourself? Or are you clinging to the word of God? Man, listen. People will continue to come who will mock us. Thieves will come who will try to rob us. Scoffers will continue to hurl their insults at us. Nothing has changed there. But the reality is this, according to the word, what will give us comfort is this, is if we continue to cling to the word of God. So brothers and sisters, can I encourage you, never turn away from the teachings and the doctrines of the word that you know to be true. Okay, this is why here at this church, we preach so much on knowing the word of God. Because how else will we keep ourselves from falling away if we don't know the Word of God? So if you want comfort, know that your comfort will not be found in this world. Rather, your comfort comes from knowing the God of the Word. So remember that by the Word, there is now comfort. The psalmist moves on from there and we get into verse 53 and 54 and he says this, he says that you should remain close to the word because with the word, we now sing praise. Now, if you're paying attention to the text, I want you to notice what's happening here. There's a, there's a drastic turn that happens in verse 53 that then leads us to encouragement that happens in verse 54. Follow with me here. Verse 53, it says, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law, your law being the word of God. Again, so notice the psalmist now turns his attention to the wicked. Now, just to give you some working definitions here, when we use the word indignation, we're talking about an anger aroused by something that is unjust or unworthy or even just downright mean. Now, the psalmist is going to go one step further and call it a hot indignation, meaning that his anger is boiling over because of what these people are doing. Now, to give you an idea of what's actually happening here, this same phrase, when you study it in the Hebrew, could literally mean a shaking from sorrow or a great distress to a great degree because of what's happening around you. So a, a good way to think about what, what the psalmist is saying here is to think of it like a storm with a scorching and burning wind that is just beginning to, to spiral within your soul. You see, this is the moment where we become so angry at something or, so, or someone, so distressed over something or someone that it just makes us shake. It just makes us want to cry. Now, you, you, you may 
know what I'm talking about here. You may have felt that heartache before. You may have felt that anger before. You may have felt that frustration before. I mean, do you remember what you felt like in that moment? I imagine some of you right now, the wheels are turning about a particular situation or about a particular person where all of a sudden, even now at the mention of it, your blood pressure is beginning to rise. This is exactly what the psalmist is talking about. But notice specifically what he's talking about. He is so upset to the point of shaking because wicked men who claim to know the truth about God now deny the truth about God. They have turned away from the word and thus have turned to disobedience. In fact, they've gone as far as to willingly attack God if given the opportunity. And so the psalmist is angry and broken because sinners and scoffers have now turned away from God. And so it's in this moment, the psalmist, in an act of mercy and sacrifice, notice what he's not praying. Notice what he's not singing to God. Notice he's not singing to God, calling for the world to burn. I mean, that would be easy. I mean, just imagine how many times we thought to ourselves, Lord, that whole swallow this person up with the earth, that sounds good. Take them. How many times have we thought, Lord, another flood? Doesn't sound like a bad idea. Just make sure I'm on the boat. Lord, this whole, this whole burning the world with fire doesn't sound so bad. Start with those people. That's not what the psalmist is saying here. But rather what he's saying is in the midst of his grief and his heartache because of what's happening, he knows that there are people who have revolted against God. He knows what now awaits them. So notice this, his anger doesn't burn against the people, but rather it burns because of what it is they are doing. Now, you may think for a second, wait a minute, we're reading into this passage, but man, if you continue to read Psalm 119, okay, you get to verse 120, and, and 120 answers that question for us. He says this, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. You see, the psalmist knows all too well what is about to happen to those who rebel against God. And the same is true of us today. We know all too well what's about to happen to someone who goes before judgment of God and they have lived a life in direct rebellion against God. If you don't know, it's not going to end well. That's why we as Christians can come in and say, thanks be to God through the grace and the goodness of our Lord who has given us Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins. Because alone, we would stand condemned before God. But by grace, we have been atoned for through the blood of Jesus Christ. We know that. But sadly, there are people in this world who do not know this truth. And so it should grieve us that judgment is coming for those who do not know. You see, for the psalmist, Sin is a very ugly thing, and it causes the psalmist anguish that there would even be some who would forsake the law of God. So when we read these words, we should really be asking ourselves as Christians, as believers at this point, man, when was the last time your heart broke and your passion was fueled for someone who was in direct rebellion against God? 
It's easier just to unfriend them from social media, but, but when was the last time we had a conversation with them and said, look, I love you, and I'm concerned about your eternal future. You need Jesus, and not saying it in an ugly way, like you need Jesus and move on, but saying, no, let me tell you about Jesus of the Word. I mean, brothers and sisters, our time is limited. And I know that we know that he knows that we know that the wicked will one day perish. And so my question for us today is in grace, man, what are we doing about it? Now notice notice what happens here in verse 54, because that's verse 53. We see this this judgment coming and and we're reminded of the judgment that's coming, but then, and there's this anguish that happens, but then notice, notice the grace and the goodness that all of a sudden overtakes the psalmist as he changes gears here in verse 54. He says this, he says, your statutes, Again, statutes being another word for the word, word. Your word, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. So now pay attention to what the psalmist is saying, whether it's an unsettled uh, state of fleeing from one place to another, similar to David being pursued by Saul, the Old Testament, or as a sojourner who moves throughout the entire course of his life, like Jacob, when you read about him in Genesis chapter 47, the psalmist here now changes course, and he wants believers to see this, that listen, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of, of our heart that burns because we see people that we care about and love just falling into ruin, we need to realize that there's still hope. And the hope is this, we're sojourning. We, we got to know that we're in a kingdom that's not ours and, and this kingdom clearly is not going to live by the standard of God. And so we have to understand that, that we are literally just passing through this place. This place is not our home. So the psalmist is literally saying to us in verse 54, we will never find true rest or residence in this place because we, as followers of Jesus Christ, belong to a different kingdom. So as believers, we're merely on a pilgrimage passing through until we arrive at our final destination where we will spend all of eternity with our God. And I got to tell you, like the psalmist says here, he says, look, since we're on this journey together, it doesn't make sense for us to just be angry all the time. No, rather what we should do is this, we should sing praise. We should sing praise because God is the reason for our praise. Through the word, we have not only why we should sing praise, but we see what it is that we should be singing when we do sing praise. So in our days, by by God's grace, the days that we've been given, we have been given the word of God so that we are able to sing praise back to God and sing praise for the purpose of encouraging one another while we are on this journey. So, So Christians, can I tell you something now, okay? I don't know what your doctrine on singing praise to God is, but I'm fixing to ruin it for you if you fall in this camp. If you're one of those people who say, I don't have to sing, you're wrong. The Bible has called you to sing, okay? If I just ruined you at the end of the service, you can come down and repent. It's really okay. We'll get it fixed. I might have just broke a few people, I understand that. But listen, hear my heart on that, okay? You may say, well, I can't sing because I don't have the voice for it. Are you kidding me? What does God say about that? Make a joyful noise, okay? Make a joyful noise, just sing. Just sing praise back to God. Why? Because we're called to sing praise back to God. But then two, if we are singing the word of God, then we're now hiding the word of God in our hearts as we sing. 
So as we journey together, let's continue to sing praise to God, not only to God for who God is, but let's, let's sing it so we can encourage one another. You see, believers are called to be a people who sing and not just sing anything because some people are trying to take secular music and turn it into worship. Stop that. That's nonsense. I'm talking about what, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. No, oh, by the way, he says it in another letter as well. He says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and, uh, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do we understand that according to the word of God, we are called to now sing the word of God? And can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what you sound like. Even if the person standing next to you looks at you and goes, hey, thanks be to God, but clearly singing is not your gift. Just turn and look at them and sing louder. Even if, even if it's a new song, even if it's something that we don't know, even if it's unknown, if it's affirmed by the word of God, then can I encourage you to learn it and sing it? And then here's what happens. As we sing the word of God, we're going to continue to hide the word of God further into our heart. And so let's continue to sing the word because when we sing the word, we are able to praise God as we continue onward in the journey that the Lord has called us to. And as we sing the word, it will continue to remind us to never forsake the law. So church, hear the words of this particular passage in Psalms and keep on singing. This leads to our fourth and final point, which is found in verses 55 and 56, and that is this. Because of the word, we now have a promise. Now notice the psalmist closes out our text with yet another word of encouragement. Verse 55, he says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Now notice this, before, before the blessing, before the encouragement comes, notice what he's doing here. He's teaching us that even at night, when others are sleeping or when others are, are lost in their own world of thoughts, what is he doing? He is still meditating on the word of God. So can you hear the word from the psalmist this, this morning and, and know this, that when you, when you put your, your head on your pillow at night, instead of getting bogged down in the mundane, instead of rethinking all the conversations you wish you would have had that day and said, man, if I'd have said this to this person, they would have said this and I would have said that and then boom, they'd have been out. Instead of treating conversations that way, instead of, instead of thinking of all the people that wronged you that day, maybe what we should do is this. Let's, let's take a moment and just get lost in the thought of the wonderful work of creation. Let's get lost in the thought of the beauty of the providence that is found in the grace of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. And how do we do that? We meditate on the Word. Okay, so if you're, if you're one of those people that has to fall asleep to something, can I encourage you to, to fall asleep to scripture reading perhaps or, or maybe, uh, maybe some, some biblical music? Can I encourage you with that? Because that's... What the psalmist said was important. He said, even at night, even at night, I, I meditate. I meditate on your law. And he's not saying that to say, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm awesome. No, he's saying this. He's saying, listen, I do it at night. I meditate on the word. Why? Because I love my God. But more importantly, because God loves me. In other words, notice what the psalmist is doing. He's actually using his time wisely to stay encouraged by reflecting on the word overnight. In other words, he is redeeming his time as he thinks about and reflects upon the word of God. In fact, he says that he has now kept 
the law. Now, again, when he says that he kept the law, he probably kept it imperfectly, okay? It doesn't mean that he was perfect all of a sudden by doing this. However, what the psalmist is teaching us that he's, is that he strived for keeping the word close as his way of demonstrating his love for God, and thus he sought the word to help him continue to grow in his own walk. So Christians, can I ask you, how are you now spending your evenings? Do we spend any part of our evening reading the word, listening to the word? meditating on the Word, reading good things that teach us about the Word. I mean, why do we, why do we meddle in things? Why do, we, why do we get bogged down in frustrations of, of the day that we just had? Why do we get, and get on the news and look at all the horrible things that are happening with all of our politicians and celebrities? I mean, who cares? None of that matters when compared to the Word of God. I mean, to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about, let me unpack this for a moment. If you've ever sat in my office before, you've probably heard me ask you this question. You've probably come in with a frustration or just sought some counseling in a certain area. And my first question is always this. How's your time been in the Word? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I ask that question a lot. How's your time been in the Word? And I ask that question not because I want you to get frustrated with me, although most people do get frustrated with me. Several weeks ago, I asked this. I had a pastor coming to me, and he was sharing his frustrations and heartaches and everything about being a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, amen, preach. No, I'm kidding. Um, he shared with me his frustrations and his heartaches. And I said, I asked him, I said, how's your time in the Word? And he got frustrated with me. He's like, what do you mean? I'm a pastor. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean anything. What does that mean? You're a pastor. Good. You should be in the Word. How is your time in the Word? The same thing happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was in my own home. I was in my, my bedroom. My wife and I were having a conversation. I was frustrated. Guess what her first question to me was? How was your time in the Word? Guess what my response was? What do you mean, how was my time in the Word? I'm a pastor. I got frustrated with her. But you know, there's a lot of truth to that question. Because you see, when we find ourselves out of the Word, it's when we find ourselves meddling in things that don't matter. But notice this, okay? Notice what happens when we do find ourselves in the Word. I mean, just keep reading. Verse 56, right? Coming back, Psalm 119, verse 56. He says this, This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Precepts being another word for the word, word. Notice here that keeping the Word of God comes with a promise. Keeping the word of God comes with the blessing of not only knowing God, but being made known fully as we continue to grow in our own righteousness and as we continue to grow in our own sanctification. You see, knowing the word and keeping the word is a precious gift as it teaches us more about God. So Christian, do you want to experience the blessing? Do you want to experience the promise? Then know the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Make the Word of God a regular and study habit within your life. Stay in the Word of God. Allow others to encourage you by the Word of God. You encourage others by the Word of God. Hold one another accountable according to the Word of God. Because in the Word of God, there is blessing. Because there is promise. There is promise and what is to come. You see, the word, as the psalmist says, is the blessing that has fallen to me. 
That is the joy of knowing the Word and clinging to the Word and singing the Word. Is It's the promise that has now fallen to us. Now, I love what J.I. Packer says about this point. He says this, The stars may fall, but God's promises, the Word itself, will stand and be fulfilled. Man, as we prepare for this Advent season, let's remember what it is that we now have in the Word. I know I'm not saying this to someone for the first time, and I'm about to blow you away. But no one ever said that life would be easy. No one ever said it would get easier. So as Christians, knowing frustrations will come, knowing heartache will come, knowing grief will come, let's make sure we keep the word. Let's make sure we cling to the Word. Let's make sure we know the Word. Because in the Word, we have hope. By the Word, there is comfort. With the Word, we can now sing praise. And because of the Word, we now have a promise. I want to close this sermon by giving you a quote from John Calvin. He said it this way. If we meditate carefully on God's Word, We shall live even in the midst of death. Nor will we meet with any sorrows so heavy for which it will not furnish us with a remedy. Brothers and sisters, don't miss the blessing that is the Word of God. Don't miss the joy that is found in knowing this book. Stay guarded by it. Keep close to it. Because hard days are coming, and they will come. And on those days, through the words, we will always find our song for the suffering. May our hope rest in Christ. May our promises continue to be found as we seek God and as we seek Him through His Word. Let's pray together.